Good morning, church. Looks like our Sunshine Clubbers are headed off. If you have a child in kindergarten through fourth grade or younger, uh, they're welcome to go out and to the left. And thankful for all of our children's teachers today that are going to be sharing the truth of God's Word with our children as we open up God's Word ourselves. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, Or even if it was a hard Thanksgiving, I'm glad that you're here and glad that we can join together and worship uh, the one who is enough, the one who's our foundation and our cornerstone. And so we're so glad that you are here today. If you're online with us, welcome to you as well. We'd love to ask all of you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23 is where we are going to be. If you don't have a Bible with you uh, and you don't like using the app on your phone, we have Bibles that are in that rack right in front of you. And I would love to, for you to turn to page 984 in that black Bible and find Colossians chapter 2. And while you're doing that, if you're a guest with us, uh, maybe you're checking us out online for the first time, we want you to know right from the top that we believe the Bible we are opening right now is the inspired Word of God, inerrant in the original manuscripts, and that God has sovereignly preserved the integrity of his word through the generations so that through the reading of his word and the illumination of his spirit, we can know him and we can love him and we can follow him and represent him. We, we believe so much in the sufficiency of scripture that we don't think that what I have to say today matters at all unless it agrees with what God's word says. We want to collectively be a church that believes it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what the Bible says, which is why we want you to see God's word for yourself today. Uh, I could mess this up, always a possibility, but God's word always gets it right. And and our plan is to finish chapter 2 of Colossians today, and then we're going to be taking a break uh, for Christmas and in the new year, and then we'll get into Colossians 3 later on in 2023. Uh, But our Christmas series that we're starting next week is based on the descriptions of Jesus in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. So we're taking a break and going through Colossians, but we're going to be looking more into that one paragraph in the series that we start next week called What Child Is This? And we're looking forward to that. You might notice we our, our, our church building looks similar to maybe how your house looks, which is like partway decorated for Christmas, right? We're, we're partway there, uh, working on it. Maybe your house is in a similar state, uh, and so I hope uh, you're getting excited about that. It's going to come quick, uh, but man, we're excited to celebrate Jesus uh, this year. Uh, and, and in case you haven't been with us, our, our purpose for going through this series in Colossians is that we would see the supremacy and the centrality of Christ in everything. Because unless and until Jesus is at the center, we don't think anything else will make sense. And until Jesus is who we value the most, we won't value anything else correctly. Our only hope in this life is having more of Jesus. We need to be so filled with him that there isn't room for anything else. Because in our brokenness, the Bible doesn't point us to a system or to a program. It points us to a person. And his name is Jesus. And when you really find him, there is no need to search anywhere else. Because he is the treasure who contains all of the treasure. And if you are in Christ... 
your identity has been completely transformed. We talked about this last week. We are no longer captives to our sin-sick nature that's encapsulated by our breaking down bodies. We are no longer spiritually dead, separated from God. In Christ, we are made alive, we are forgiven, and we are victorious. And, and, and if I could clarify from last week, uh, I went off script which is always dangerous, in talking about our captivity to sin without Christ. And I mentioned that in the Pine household, we call sin, sin. Uh, but I wanted to clarify that my goal is, for my is not for my children to walk through life with an anchor of sin hanging around their necks, thinking this is why I will never amount to anything. No, my goal is for my children to bring their sin to the cross and leave it there. And leave it there. As Romans 6 says, we have died to sin, so why would we continue to live in it? I don't want my children to walk through life defeated. I want them to see their need for Jesus every day and depend on him and lean into him and find their ultimate identity in him, embracing the forgiveness and victory that is found in Christ and in the gospel. And that's my desire for all of us. Because truly embracing your identity as forgiven won't cause you to do whatever you want and treat God's grace as cheap. Embracing this new identity frees you to run further into Jesus because the guilt and shame that holds us back is gone. And so I want you to know that you don't need to carry around sin like an anchor. Your sin is too heavy for you to wear, but it isn't too heavy for the cross to bear. We leave it at the cross. We celebrate that our identity is in Christ's victory, not sin's captivity. That was last week. That was last week. And, and that's important to keep in mind because the first word in our passage is therefore. So all that I just said sort of leads into the therefore that we are about to see in verse 16. And, and the reason Paul is going to great lengths to emphasize these realities with the Colossians and, and, and the fullness of Jesus and how Christ is enough and all the songs that we sang just fit so well with this is because he saw it as the best defense against the false teachers that were in this young church, right? And they were trying to dilute the gospel by adding other stuff to it. And today, in verses 16 through 23, we get the most detail on, on the false teachings that Paul was having to address. So let's look at this together. This is our passage. Colossians 2, 16 through 23 says this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. 
These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If someone were to ask the question, what does Christianity offer me? If you're sharing the gospel with people, uh, you, you will probably hear different versions of that question if you pay attention. What, 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 is, what does that have to offer me? What does Christianity offer? And, and my fear is that people who claim to be Christians um, might give all sorts of different answers to that question. Uh, in fact, I agree with what MacArthur says. If you listen to enough people, you might conclude that Christianity offers you whatever you want it to offer. Health, wealth, success, which is why, by the way, I, I almost hesitate to use the word Christian anymore without putting air quotes around it, because it can mean so many different things. And I, and I certainly have a definition of what I think a follower of Jesus, a Christian, is, but people can mean all sorts of different things by that. Uh, but because I want people to get the same answer from all of us, can I tell you what Christianity offers? If you need to write it down, feel free. Christianity offers Jesus. Period. And so if you need to remember that, write that down. I know it's a lot. One word, okay? It offers Jesus. Jesus is all there is to offer because Jesus is everything that we need. And he contains everything else that we need. He's the treasure who contains all the treasure. So if you are thinking about following Jesus... I want you to know that I can't promise that your life will be easy. I can promise that it won't be. I, I can't promise you that the report from the doctor will always be positive. I can't promise you that your kids will turn out the way you want. But I can promise you that you get Jesus and that he's enough no matter what else comes. And, and at the heart of most false teaching, including in Colossae, is this singular lie. That Jesus is insufficient. If you pay close attention, this is the lie. Jesus is insufficient. And his insufficiency can be made up for by adding fill in the blank. Right? And, and, and this is what makes it so deceptive. Because we aren't overtly taking away Jesus. That would be far too obvious. Right? We're, we're just adding something else. We're just adding good works to Jesus or adding sacraments or adding Muhammad or adding Joseph Smith or adding cultural ideologies. Almost every form of false teaching claims to believe in Jesus in some fashion. They do. But if you pay careful attention, they don't believe in Christ and Christ alone. It's Jesus plus something else. And so in our outline today, we are going to see that, Jesus, that Christianity is not Jesus plus fill in the blank. Christianity is not Jesus plus fill in the blank. And, and it, because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And, and I don't often have outlines that are like this that are sort of framed in the negative context. Uh, but passages like these that are addressing adding things to the gospel that don't belong, lead to an outline that's telling us what Christianity is not. And the first point comes from verses 16 and 17. So look back at verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2 with me. Therefore, because Jesus Christ has triumphed and our identity is found in him, 
Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Christianity is not Jesus plus legalism. Jesus plus legalism. I heard one pastor describe it this way. Paul is blowing the whistle on self-appointed spiritual umpires who were adding Jewish customs to the gospel and making the Colossians' participation in those customs a standard of their spirituality. So, so you believe in Jesus. That's great. But are you kosher? Do, do you celebrate Jewish festivals? Do you follow the Sabbath laws? Right? And, and we talked about this a lot when we were going through Galatians because it was a similar issue. Uh, the, the importance of never trying to move on from grace to something else. Right? We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and we stay right there. Right? We, don't, we don't drift from there into, into license. It's my life, and I can do whatever I want, and God will always forgive me no matter what, and, 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 and all that. No, we don't, we don't do that. We don't drift into license, right? because we belong to Christ he is our, he's our king. We, we submit to him. Grace isn't opposed to working. It is just opposed to earning. So we don't drift into license, but we also don't drift into legalism. Here's all the things I'm going to do to prove I'm worthy or to prove I'm more elite than other Christians over there. And, 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 and this, is, this is why when we cling to Christ... When we cling to Christ, we are saying, my faith is in his performance, not my own. I'm going to rely on grace instead of trying to earn something. Because all I can earn on my own is God's wrath. And I don't want that. That's what we are confessing when we cling to Jesus. The problem is, we really like earning things. Don't we? We really like saying, I did it. I earned it. I deserve it. We really like that. And we love grace until we think we've earned more than grace feels like it's providing. Right? And, and that's why this teaching is so dangerous, because it appeals to that. You can do this. You got this that's inside of all of us. And Paul isn't saying that following a Jewish calendar of festivals is, is wrong or eating kosher is wrong. But it is wrong to make it a standard for different levels of Christianity that are extra-biblical and performance-based. And Paul should know what this looks like, by the way, because he was a recovering legalist himself. Uh, look at how he describes himself before meeting Jesus. This is Philippians 3, 4-8. through 8. I have this on the screen. Paul's saying, if anyone, if anyone could earn it, it was me. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. <laughs> I have more. You want to play this game? You want to say, who's performed better in the Jewish system? Let's go, Paul says. Circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
Paul, Paul was saying, if being right with God was based on someone's performance within Judaism, I was the MVP. I was the MVP of that team. But when you meet Jesus, everything in your performance-based resume that you have been holding onto in order to prove your worth, you happily throw in the garbage so you can just cling to Jesus with everything that you have. Because he is everything that we need. He says, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And and in verse 17 of Colossians 2, it's almost like Paul anticipates an objection. Like, wait a minute, someone might say. Weren't these things that are in verse 16 commanded in the Old Testament? And the answer is yes for some of them. The religious leaders had added a whole bunch of other laws on on top of that one as well. But Paul says in verse 17, these were merely a shadow. Jesus is the substance. And if you underline in your Bible, that's a great truth to underline. Jesus is the substance. Paul, in verse 17, is helping us get a big picture view of the Old Testament and the Old Testament law and its purpose. And its purpose wasn't to save us. The whole purpose of the law was to show that we don't want to make it about our performance. That's what we don't want to do. It it was to help us see our need for a true Savior. It provided the outline, the, the shadow of what was to come, but Jesus is the substance. He is what the Old Testament was previewing. He is the fulfillment of the law. He is, he, is, he is everything that you need. So don't go back and try to rely on the shadow. Don't try to cling to a shadow. You'll come up with air every time. Cling to Jesus. He is the substance. Now, with all that being said, that's not to say that we shouldn't be wise about what we eat or what we drink. The Holy Spirit might convict you to change your diet sometime, or he might convict you to to give up something like alcohol. The the Holy Spirit might convict you to have a more formal 24-hour day of rest. Uh, I'm in a season of my life where I'm being more convicted and more sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading probably than ever before, but that doesn't mean I impose my own personal standards on everyone else. And pass judgment on them if they don't shape up the way I think they should. And I know it can be hard to figure out what are personal standards and what are the standards of God's word. But Christianity is not Jesus plus legalism. It is, Christ, it is Jesus plus nothing. Look at verse 18. Let no one disqualify you. That's still based on the therefore. Since you are in Christ, let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels. Going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Uh, There there are two more false teachings that are, are grouped together here. And the first one mentioned tells us that Christianity is not Jesus plus asceticism. And that's not a word that you hear often. And so when you first read this passage, you might have been thinking, what does that mean? And if that was you, I, I'm in that club as well. So I had to look it up too. And if you, just, if you just look it up online, you will find that asceticism is severe self-discipline. 
severe self-discipline, and avoidance of all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. So if the legalism, this is two weeks in a row, guys. I'm falling apart. Oh, my word. What is going on? I'm just going to leave it right here, and we're going to see if that works better for me. I, I, my, my left hand is like, nope, not doing this anymore. I've done it for five years. Second year in a row, I've week in a row, I've dropped that. So if, if legalism talked about in verse 16 is performance-based, here's all the things that I do. Aestheticism is all about the things that you don't do. Okay? All about the things that you don't do. Making a religion out of self-denial. And again, that's not saying that self-denial is bad, just like having some traditions and healthy rhythms is good. The problem is when we elevate these things to the same position as Christ. And so maybe an obvious example of asceticism would be a monk or a nun, right? Giving up marriage, right? Giving up your home and going to live in a monastery. But once you start heading down this road of making self-denial ultimate, the question is, where does that end? Where, where does that end? Right? I'm not just going to be celibate. I'm going to be a eunuch. Right? I'm not just going to live in a monastery. I'm going to seclude myself even more, and I'm going to take a vow of silence. Or I'm going to give up any food at all that tastes, that tastes good, and I'm only going to drink water. Or I'm going to get rid of my entire closet and always wear this one thing. Or, or some people decide that they don't just need to wear one thing. They need to wear something that is intentionally painful for them and harmful to their bodies anytime they move. And that pain is a reminder of their depraved humanity or some other nonsense like that. And all these things are designed to make them appear humble and appear dedicated, and appear more committed. Look at all the things they have given up for Jesus, but it is a false humility. And this is why Paul starts the verse by saying, let no one disqualify you. Because, because if you were really serious about your faith, then you would be willing to do this, right? And they make their way of life the standard. And when you buy into the lie that it is a race to nothing to see who can give up the most joy in life, it's just another form of trying to appear to earn what cannot be earned. It is nonsense. And, and if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard me criticize the prosperity gospel, right? Your health, your wealth, your prosperity doesn't prove your spirituality. But the poverty gospel is not the solution to the prosperity gospel. They are actually two sides of the same false teaching coin. So hear this. You are not more or less saved based on what you materially have or don't have. You are not more or less saved based on what you materially have or don't have. Don't let yourself get pulled into a race to the top or a race to the bottom, we are racing towards Jesus. And maybe in running towards Jesus, the Holy Spirit will lead you to giving up something that is getting in the way of running towards him. In fact, I can promise you, he most certainly will. If you're following his leading, that, that will happen. But that doesn't mean he's calling the person in the pew next to you to give up the same thing. And we sure, certainly shouldn't start using what we have given up as a means to prove our level of commitment to Jesus. And if you were more committed, you would give up that too. Maybe you are just committed to a false humility. 
And maybe you're just committed to looking more dedicated than other people. And if I could just give a real practical example, uh, th- this, Chris- this Christmas falls on a Sunday. I realized that over a year ago, by the way. Uh, <laughs> which means that we will have uh, a Christmas Eve service on Saturday night, and then we will have a Christmas Day service on Sunday morning. And I would love for you to be there. And I'm looking forward to celebrating the birthday of our king together and worshiping him on Christmas Day. I think that's going to be great. But you know what I'm not going to be doing on Christmas morning? I'm not going to be looking up at, looking out at who shows up and saying, Ah, here's the real committed ones. Right? That's not what I'm going to be doing. Oh, look at how dedicated you are. Look how great you are because you're here on Christmas morning. And, and these are the people who are really serious about Jesus. I'm not making phone calls during that week saying, I gave up my Christmas morning. Why couldn't you? Right? I'm not going to be doing that. That's not what Christianity is. I would love if you're able to make a part of your celebration that day. And if you can't, I understand. Don't let anyone disqualify you. Because here's the result of the work of Jesus on the cross. Here's the realization of the gospel. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. There are no black sheep in God's spiritual family. You are either in Christ or you aren't. You are either joint heirs with Christ or you aren't. There isn't a merit system. All is grace. And this is what our flesh does. We love grace until we say, hmm, I think I deserve more than that person, though. Right? Look at how much more I've done for God's kingdom or given up for God's kingdom than that other guy. That's not grace. Don't fall into that trap. You don't want what you deserve. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Christianity is Jesus plus nothing. Nothing. And there's another false teaching mentioned in verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Christianity is not Jesus plus mysticism. Paul calls out worshiping angels and false, teaching going, false teachers going on in detail about visions they had as a way of claiming authority or pridefully claiming a superior level of Christianity, but it's not Christian at all. And, and by the way, many people think that Paul connects asceticism uh, with mysticism here because they are often presented as going together. For, for, for example, uh, picture someone telling the story about how they fasted for a month, right? And at the end of that fast, they were so hungry, but then they had this amazing spiritual experience, right? They had this vision, or God spoke to them in this unique way that he had never had before, and they leave you with the impression that if you were really dedicated and really committed and really spiritual, you would have these same experiences as well. Uh, I remember so- sharing a test. someone shared a testimony just like that in, the, in my church growing up, And I I left church that day thinking that I needed to do the same thing, but I was also a growing teenager and really hungry, right? And I didn't know how to balance those things, right? It was really tough. And and the biggest issue I have with those who prioritize mystical, supernatural experiences and visions and whatever else is that it seems to imply that the Word of God is not enough. 
And so many people are sitting around wishing that God would speak to them. And I want them to know he has. He has spoken. He has revealed everything we need to know about him in his word. And I think it was also R.C. Sproul who, who responded to someone who said they wanted to hear from God. And he responded by saying, read his word. And if you want to hear an audible voice, read it out loud. Good advice. So I understand the desire for miracles and to have supernatural experiences. But as verse 19 says, in order to be spiritually healthy, we simply need to be connected to Jesus, who is the head. He's the head from which the whole body is nourished. And when you buy into the lie that Jesus is lacking and you need more, you need more. You need angels or you need a vision. You need something extra. And it sounds spiritual, but in reality, it is disconnecting you from the true source of life and health and everything that we need. Jesus is the head. Uh, I shared the quote from H.B. Charles recently that applies here as well. A body without a head is dead, but a body with multiple heads is a monster. So, so you need a head. You, you need one. It's essential for pretty much everything, for sight, for hearing, for breathing, for eating. Your whole body is dependent on your head, but you only need one. You only need one. And Paul says that is what Jesus is for us spiritually. He is everything that you need. Everything flows from him. Don't go other places, even ones that appear spiritual, as sources for what only Jesus can provide. We rely on the incarnate word as revealed in the written word to supply all of our needs. In him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Christianity is not Jesus plus mysticism. It's Jesus plus nothing. And then verses 20 through 23 uh, Paul just reinforces what he's just said in verses 16 through 19. So let me read this by way of summary. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. Things like food. According to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So here's the summary. Christianity is not Jesus plus anything. Jesus plus anything else. That's not what it is. Jesus has set us free from having to rely on anything other than him. We have died to having to try to live by human traditions or worldly or even demonic ideologies. I feel like I've heard so many worldly ideas and philosophies just this week alone. When you're studying a text like this and you start to listen to the wisdom of this world and, and humanistic wisdom, it just blows your mind. And my heart breaks for those who have to rely on those things to get through life, right? And, and I realize that, that without Christ, that's all I would have. 
Right? Without Christ, all we would have is just whatever man's wisdom can come up with. Humanistic teachings, temporary solutions to eternal problems. But church, we don't have to rely on any of those things because we have Jesus. He is the treasure. He is everything we need. He is the fullness of God in bodily form. We have the eternal solution. We have the source of life. So why would you go back? Why would you go back and add on legalism or add on asceticism or add on mysticism? I appreciate, maybe you did too, in verse 23, how Paul acknowledges the deception that lies in the appearance of wisdom. It lies in the appearance of wisdom. It sounds good. A lot of it sounds good. Some extra biblical standards sound really good. Self-denial has some truth to it. We are living sacrifices after all, which, which is a good time to remind you that false teaching would be must, much easier to spot if it was, you know, Satan, he's actually a good guy. You know, not so bad at all. He's just really misunderstood. You should give him a chance, right? It, it, that would be easier. If, if the songs were, Jesus, not, if the songs were, Satan loves the little children, all the children of the world, that would be pretty easy to reject, wouldn't it? As a parent, you'd be like, hmm, something seems off here, right? It, like, outright denying Jesus would be a pretty obvious giveaway. But here's what's dangerous. Here's a few extra biblical things that the really committed Christians do. Or, oh, oh, you haven't had that type of spiritual experience? Oh, I'll, I'll make sure to pray for you. And they do it with their Bibles open. And some of you have almost given up on Jesus, or at least the church altogether, because you've grown up in environments that were legalistic or extreme self-denial or hyper-spiritualized and mystical, and you felt like you need to put on a performance and manufacture a spirituality that felt really forced, and you felt like a second-class citizen, and it was exhausting because it wasn't the gospel. It wasn't grace. It wasn't Jesus and Jesus alone. And it didn't work, right? If you were in that environment, did it work for you? It didn't work. You know why? Because Paul's conclusion is that these things are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You can't work or self-deny your way into heaven. You can't gain victory over your sin through any man-made physical or spiritual means. The only means of victory over our sin-sick selves is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Remember, that's what the therefore in verse 16 was pointing back to in verse 15. This is the gospel. On our own, we have no hope in escaping the brokenness of this world and even the brokenness in our own selves. No hope at all. We were spiritual captives to our sin, having rebelled against our creator. But because God loves us, he sent himself in the person of Jesus to live the perfect life that you and I could not live and then to die the death that you and I I deserve to die. Jesus experienced the pain and punishment that we had earned so we don't have to. His blood poured out on the cross as payment to the justice of God and covered all of our sins, past, present, and future. He rose from the dead. He triumphed over sin and the grave and the powers of darkness. Therefore, therefore, 
Let no one pass judgment on you or disqualify you. If you place your faith in the perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus, all of your sins are forgiven. The righteousness of Christ is credited to your account. We become part of the eternal family of God. We are no longer captives, but are victorious in Christ. We bring our nothing to Jesus, and he supplies everything that we need, and all is grace. All is grace, and we never move on from it. We move deeper into it. We set our roots down and build ourselves up into Christ because we recognize and believe that Jesus is sufficient, and we don't add what we do or what we don't do, what we experience or what we don't experience because Jesus plus anything else equals nothing, but Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Amen? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you alone would be our foundation, that you alone would be our cornerstone, that when fear starts to take over, when doubt starts to take over, that the song we're about to sing would prove true that you would be the one who holds us fast. I pray that you would so connect us to Jesus. We'd be so united with you that anything that threatens to draw us away from you would be rejected. I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us recognize the things that are holding us back or drawing us away or keeping us from running faster towards you. And I also pray that we would not, that we would not impose our personal convictions and preferences on others, but that we would let grace be grace and that we would just encourage each other not to run to the top or to the bottom, but to run hard after Jesus, to lean into him, set our roots in him, built up into him, trusting that you are everything that we need. You are everything that we need. Uh, I pray that we would all experience that every single day. And I pray for those that are struggling, they're struggling to sort out what to believe, they're struggling with all the different voices that they're hearing and all the different things that are drawing them and calling out to them. I pray that they would see Jesus for who he is today and that they would come to Christ and depend on nothing else. So thank you for the hope that we have because of the gospel. I pray that we would believe every single day that you plus nothing equals everything. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.